Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that no matter, no matter where you're from, what do you eat, we're all going to get there. And today my guest is Dr. Ian Lanza. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks doctor, for having me. Doctor, can you share with our audience what are we going to be talking about today? Well, I think we're going to be talking about aging. Aging? Aging, skeletal muscles, and exercise. Exactly. Something yeah. that um, day one, you're born. At that time, you're already aging. So you start moving your muscles. How does that influence your body? Yeah, that's a deep question. At the um, long term. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what fascinates me about muscles is that they're exquisitely adaptive, and they adapt in both directions. So they adapt to use, and you can easily recognize that in people that use their muscles a lot, people that are bodybuilders, and, of course, they have well-developed well-defined muscles that respond to hours of working these muscles. And then you can see the opposite. You can see the profound muscle wasting that is obvious in people who are unable to use their muscles to the same extent. And we see that in chronic disease, muscle wasting diseases, mm -hmm. and, and actually just physical inactivity, inactive lifestyles. How do you get into this field of... Uh How do you, your interest grow on, to learn about muscles and do research on, on muscles, muscles and how do they affect? Uh, well, uh, that interest was, was born out of um, many years of being an endurance athlete. So when I was in high school, I became interested in uh, running cross-country and track and field and then took that into college with me as a, as a collegiate runner. And I was fascinated by the limits of human performance initially. And so I began taking classes to understand the physiology of the human body and how skeletal muscles adapt and maladapt and the energy metabolism that goes on within the muscles. And all of this was really centered around my own selfish want to understand What for a better performance what limited my performance and what limited what made an Olympic athlete so much better than me why couldn't I run the same speed as an Olympian when I felt like I was working just as hard and do you think yeah. some of that do you find that it was because of the technique or what were you feeding your body or enough sleep how what was the What was what do you find well, out? I think uh, I think a lot of those things are important, and I think when you're young, you don't know what your own limits are, and so 
I had this, you know, this desire to understand how far could I push myself as, as a runner and as an athlete, and could I approach, you know, a certain competitive level? And what were the limits of my physiology? And like you said, is it optimizing nutrition? Is it the way that you train your body to perform? Or is it genetics? And, I mean, the answer is it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to attend your presentation last week. And some of the slides that you shared, uh, it was really nice to see the learning about the muscles of the stay healthy and strong is not something new that the scientists try to understand. It's been there for many, many years. You show some pictures from uh, during the colony when the Spaniards were coming to the America and they were looking for the fountain of the youth and some other examples. So what have you learned about uh, uh, people trying to stay healthy or younger for many years? Right. So it's, it's a fascinating topic. I found myself diving headfirst into this field, and I've really been interested in aging and in this concept of health span for, for quite some time. And one of the points I always like to make, and this, I think this, everybody can relate to this, is you know the desire to live longer. And modern medicine has made it possible for us to live quite a bit longer than we did even 50 years ago. Um, effective treatments and you know, preventative strategies for various diseases. I think where, where exercise comes in, and my, my real interest in this field come in, is not so much living longer, but living a longer health span. And so that's a concept that I think people are becoming more aware of more recently, because it's, it's talked about quite a bit now in not only the scientific literature, but also um, just in more casual conversations. And people appreciate this idea that living longer is not desirable unless you can live a quality life. Vitality, you mentioned vitality. that word on your presentation right. on the scale with the age and vitality, yeah. meaning try to have a quality versus quantity, or, or try to have both, right? That, that's the concept, is to, is to live a long time, but also maintain that quality of life. And that's, that's exactly what health span is. So on, can you share a little bit with us, what kind of research do you work on, and how, um, what have you learned? Right, so I'm a muscle physiologist by training, which means... What is physiology? Phys Break it down yeah, a little sure. bit. Yeah. So uh, physiology, it's, in, in the simplest terms, is just understanding how uh, a system in the human body works. And, mm -hmm. and so as a muscle physiologist, I've really focused on skeletal mus muscle as uh, a system. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating uh, system because... Like I mentioned, the responsiveness and the, the ability of skeletal muscle to adapt to its environment and to external stimuli makes it a really dynamic tissue. And not only that, but it's just vital to our health and our well-being. 
That's on, so you also mentioned, I mean, you saw a slide where a simple examples of it holds your organs, uh, it helps us move, it helps breathing and coughing. I never thought about that on right. within the use of the muscles. So what, what um, have you have family members who co to come and approach you and ask you um, what would it be uh, steps to take care or, or when they start feeling aches and pains because er that comes with age? Right. What is the common questions you usually get? Um, I, I guess I would turn that on its head and say it's not so much my family members coming to me, but it's me going to my family members saying, oh. you should be doing this. And um, I think as I grow older, I, you know, I see you know, older members of my family going through the aging process, and I see how it affects mobility and just uh, simple things like navigating your environment, walking Um, a flight of stairs with a bag of groceries, these things that we really take for granted when we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And as our muscle function begins to decline with advancing age, these things become much more difficult. And so a concept I like to describe is uh, essentially a threshold of muscle mass and muscle function And if you drop below that threshold, normal daily activities become affected. And so the advice I give to my mom, for example, is you're living independently now. Do whatever you can to maintain or even improve your muscle strength and muscle function now so that when you start to really get on that slippery slope of aging, you're ahead of the curve and that you can maintain your independent lifestyle for longer than you would if, say, you didn't maintain your muscle strength and mass. And in your field, do you see also um, the older population, how their mental health is affected once they start losing mobility? Right. Also? And, um, it's not something we study specifically, but I think everyone can relate to that concept is independent lifestyle is so important to many people. And once you become dependent on others to do simple tasks, it does take a toll. I mean, I, I can put myself in that situation and know how it would make me feel to be reliant on others to do basic self-care activities and, you know, the potential loss in dignity that one feels when you're reliant on others to do things like that. So, um, I have no personal experience with that, but I, I can see from uh, family members and, and, and friends, family members, that that's a real issue. Yeah, sometimes um, I want to share uh, on my wife's side, uh, grandma, she used to go and meet her friends, play cards. Uh, one day she went meet her friends and she broke her hip. And after that, the health deteriorate. Uh, the mental health deteriorate, everything went so fast. And she was driving at that time. She was she was living independent. She was on her own house. Mm -hmm. And one scenario changed the whole Yeah. It went uh like you said, the quality of life just deteriorate. Especially on 
start with the mobility and then everything deteriorate. Yeah, and so in, in many cases, it's a, a single event like that that can really precipitate uh, a downward spiral. And um, it, oftentimes it's a series of events. So you make the example of, of falling and you know fracturing uh, a hip or something that will immobilize a person. And so there's a recovery period from that. And you can imagine that if you're on bed rest because you have a broken hip and may have had a surgery, that bed rest itself may actually be worse than the precipitating injury. Wow. Okay. And as we go through life, everybody experiences these periods of up and down in terms of uh, our muscles function and strength. When you're a child, maybe you break your arm and it's in a cast for uh, six weeks the cast comes off and you recover. But do you recover to the same level? And, and as we get older, we, what we see is that there's this sort of cycle of events. So it may be uh, a fall that immobilizes somebody and then they recover, but they don't recover to the same level that they started with. And then something else happens and it's this period. And so every time the recovery is, is again, slightly lower until you hit that threshold. And then that's when, um, you know, at one point maybe the recovery doesn't recover enough to the, the person can live independently anymore. So, yeah. Now, now that you mentioned that, um, I read the other day an article that it says now sitting is considered the new tobacco <laughs> because yeah. it's is uh, yeah. how damaging is it interesting. Yeah, to the to your body and and now. Since we have technology allows to uh, automatize a lot of work that used to be more labor intense, now it's more um, with help of, of technologies, it's less, um, how you say it, physical, sure. how it's affecting individuals and also people who work in an office setting, also environment where they don't, they don't get to walk around that much, how it affects them. And sometimes uh, people is more tired by not doing anything. Right. And instead of go for a run or for a walk, how energize you. Also, um, you share a, um, slides the how being active help all your I mean your whole body, your all your organs. Correct. So Yeah, and I think that's something a lot of people don't realize. They think about exercise and the first things that come to mind are maybe cardiovascular health, maybe uh, skeletal muscles, um, because those are the things that seem to adapt very quickly. Um, but again, I challenge people to find any organ or tissue in the body that doesn't somehow react in a beneficial way to exercise. And so, for example, even our fat uh, our fat tissue has adaptations to exercise, even though we're not exercising our fat. I mean, maybe it's bouncing around while we're running, but it's not contracting in the same way that muscle is. But yet fat has these really interesting adaptations. And there was a paper that came out uh, a couple years ago now. I lose track of time, but it's always struck me because they, this was a study they did in, in mice where they exercised a group of mice 
and they transplanted fat from an exercised mouse into a non-exercised mouse. And the mice that received that transplanted fat showed some of the same adaptations as the mice that exercised. Wow. So it blew me away. I was, and, and that, to me, is just fundamental evidence that there's a lot of things happening when we're physically active that we just don't even have any idea of what's going on. Um, and how, how can you also mention the relation between exercise and pain? How it can help uh, alleviate some pain? Or yes, it probably can bring some pain, but it's at the long run probably is more is better beneficial for you. Right. So, I mean, I, I view exercise as a way to stress the system. And so, of course, the exercise is uncomfortable if you do it right. Um, it's, but again, it's a way to stress our cells. Um, it's a way to stress our system. And that's how adaptations occur. Adaptations occur in response to cellular stress. And sometimes that cellular stress can be too much and can be detrimental. But in a controlled way, like exercise at reasonable levels, um, can provide that level of stress that can really jumpstart some of the processes that really lead to some beneficial adaptations. And what about for somebody who's listening and, and if you haven't done exercise, but you decide to do the lifestyle change, what can you still bring some benefits to your body if you decided okay, I'm going to change my lifestyle, I'm going to start doing some physical activity at uh, probably uh, 50s or... Absolutely. I think there's, there's very convincing scientific literature showing that exercise can be beneficial at any age. And so I, I think that there, there's no reason to believe that an 85-year-old person couldn't start an exercise program that's new. And, of course, one needs to be cautious with mm -hmm. starting new exercise and should be under the guidance of a physician or other provider. But um, I think that, that fortunately there's a lot of very good research out there to show that that is the case. The benefits of it. Yeah. Uh, also... One of the comments was uh, somebody brought was there is those tables that people share like oh you should at least ex exercise for twenty to thirty minutes a day and and does that have to be all in one chunk all in one window of time within those thirty minutes or what is what is recommend yeah so there's there's a lot of different thoughts on this and you know some of the most general guidelines that are out there just are somewhat vague. They say for good health, one should have about 150 minutes per week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. But what is that? I mean, is that... Is that more the lawn? Would that count? What's that? More in the, the lawn? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, walking, walking a dog, mm -hmm. brisk walking. Um, but, you know, people always Washing ask... Your car. Do, do I need to do that... Is it different if I do it all in one day versus spreading it out in equal increments over the course of a week? And I, again, I think that that there's more research being done to better understand that. But 
there's a lot of excitement right now over this concept of high-intensity interval training, and it has this acronym HIT, H-I-I-T. And it's, it's begun to hit the mainstream in terms of... What does of, that consist of? Okay, so that's, that's this idea that you can do short duration but high-intensity okay. exercise. So instead of walking on a treadmill you know, at three miles per hour with you know, a lower heart rate, you can maybe increase the grade, increase the speed a little bit, get your heart rate higher, and do it in an interval, which means you do a period of time where it's uh, higher intensity, and then you back off and do it a little bit slower. And so it's thought to be a more efficient way to gain some of the benefits of exercise. And in fact, that's what we see. We see uh, when we compare this type of exercise training in older adults to, you know, your conventional sit on a stationary bike and just go at a fixed pace. We do see some more robust changes in uh, muscle physiology, whole body physiology in older adults. And so this work was published uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Doctor, what about all those things that you find on the market? For example, exercise in a bottle. <laughs> or those, what they call uh, snake oil. Snake oil, yeah. Those, all those treatments, magical treatments that you see late at night on TV. Right. You know. uh, I mean, I, I'm an open-minded person, but I think what you see on late-night infomercials, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if it costs... Nine dollars and ninety nine cents uh, with free shipping. What about the gas yeah. station? The checking out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those kind of things. Exactly, but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are really interested in understanding if there are ways to mimic the effects of exercise without having to actually do exercise, and and that's a real field of study. So people are really trying to map out the. The, the pathways that are activated or inhibited uh, following exercise that are important for some of the adaptations to, you know, understand if we can target some of those pathways with pharmacology or nutrition, can we, can we simulate exercise in a way? And so I think there's a lot of merit to some of these studies, but I, I really have a hard time believing that there's any replacement for uh, exercise because it's such a complicated process. It, there's so many things that are changing at the same time that to really have a comprehensive mimetic for that just to me seems like science fiction at this point. And then with the patients that you see, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the we're living longer. How do you see? For newcomers, for example, in this part of the country, in the upper Midwest, recommendations during the winter months. <laughs> How can they stay active? Yeah. How can they, uh, because it's also, like you mentioned on other papers, other publications, shows that people usually, when they come from another country, they're healthier because they're more physically active. Maybe there is no, everybody has a car. They used right. to walk or use public transportation more. And once they get here, they go, let's say, on, in the American lifestyle, which is, you know, use a car in and out, right through, 
those kind of things. Right. And then the winter months. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fabulous question, and I I've been thinking a lot about this. And like you said, the Upper Midwest is a difficult place to navigate during parts of the year, and we often have people from other countries visit our lab either for training or just for a sabbatical or just to visit, and many times. They get an apartment, and they say, I don't need a car. It's beautiful. I'm going to walk and ride my bike. And then November, December hits, and it's, okay, how do I live without a vehicle? And, But, I mean, to your point about just adapting to sort of this, you know, westernized lifestyle, not only with physical activity, but also diet. And there's um, a lot of interest in understanding how uh, certain immigrant populations that we have in Minnesota, such as uh, Somalis, mm-hmm. are exposed to um, a very different uh, environment than they have in Somalia. And how do they... The lifestyle. The lifestyle, the food. And um, is that a potential explanation for the increased uh, incidence of, say, type 2 diabetes? at a much lower body mass index than you would see in somebody that's, say, a native uh, uh, northern European ancestry. Um, so that's that. That's really fascinating. Um, and I don't have a, a great explanation, but um, I, I think to answer your question about, you know, what does one do in the middle of the winter in Minnesota, and I think... I don't know. I mean, the answer is probably just find something that you love and something that you can do year-round. And maybe it's seasonal. Maybe it's trying something new like cross-country skiing or snowshoeing. I found that you just really have to embrace the seasons and really find something you love to do. Just keep moving. You just keep moving. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably the, the key to maintaining an active lifestyle is... Don't just torture yourself on a treadmill. Uh, find something you can do with friends. Find something that really brings you pleasure and you don't sort of dread doing every day as part of a routine. Are you originally yeah. from this part of the country, of Midwest? No, I grew up in New Hampshire. Okay, but you also had good is, winters. Yeah, we had pretty good winters. Um, maybe not quite as rough as out here, but no stranger to snow and ice. All right. Dr. Thank you for sharing all the work that you do and, and for doing that presentation last week. And anything else that would you like to add to our conversation or a recommendation for somebody who, you know, there is never late to do a lifestyle change and how, how we can prevent or, like you said, have a good quality life, especially right. when we get older. Right. I mean, I think... I think the only thing I would add to the the whole concept of exercise as medicine is that it also needs to be individualized, that there's no one-size-fits-all way to exercise. And, you know, we talked a little bit about orthopedic limitations that some people have or um, contraindications to certain types of exercise. Um, So I think all these things need to be considered and... um, and really an individualized approach to prescribing exercise for good health. Doctor, thank you so much for 
being part of this podcast and I want to invite everybody to follow us on Facebook on their community board. Also, you can find us on Twitter on their community board and SoundCloud on their community board podcast on iTunes on their community board podcast. And remember, share this episode with your friends and family because everybody uh, we hope to get all and without less pain. Doctor, thank you for agreeing, and uh, let's go moving. Let's go move. Thank you. Bye-bye. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new in, Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk, if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news? To get more culture.